Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with top experts like we have today to learn everything you need to know about going through your divorce and being as whole as possible, both financially, mentally, and physically on the other side. Kristen Leindecker is with us here today to talk about the top tips you need to know to stay out of court, even if your spouse is not as willing as you are. She also shares when court, unfortunately, is the only solution. And during the whole process, most importantly, why you need to protect your children. And Kristen knows a lot about this. She's a social worker who specializes in collaborative family law and mediation. She's passionate about working with families, and she comes to us with a mental health background in addition to a legal background. She's worked for years and years with children in her previous life and also as she does today, helping couples make sure that they get through the divorce process in the fastest, most efficient, most healthy way possible, but also she can tell you a little bit more about how to protect your children. She leaves us with a few tidbits that you have to wait to the end for, including the Children's Bill of Rights to protect kids, and one of my favorite, the Parents' Bill of Rights, and how you as a parent should be protected through this process. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to Kristen Leindecker. Thank you for being here, Kristen, and wanted to ask you, how did you get into this field? I don't know many people that ever dreamed of being a matrimonial attorney when they were little girls. Maybe some are, but how did you find yourself in this space? Thank you, Stacy, for having me. My story, I think, is a little bit unique. I graduated NYU in 1999, so it was the internet boom, and I ended up working as a producer at Nickelodeon, and then September 11th happened, and I really wanted to focus on something that I thought was more impactful and kind of hands-on work with the community. So I went to Columbia, got my master's in social work. During that time, I was very focused on families and children. And I was advocating for kids in foster care and family court in Queens. And I just observed the attorneys and realized that was the next step for me, was to become an attorney. I went to law school in L.A. I worked for an adoption attorney in Beverly Hills during that time. I knew I wanted to do family-focused stuff, Mm -hmm. kid-focused stuff. I moved back to New York. I got a job at a traditional matrimonial firm, which is where the jobs were. Basically, literally, I'm just not cut out for that kind of (laughs) litigation scenario where I found myself just not feeling good about what I was doing, not feeling like I was helping people in a meaningful way. I ended up going back to social work, working in adoption, and thank God for CLEs, which are the continuing legal education credits required by the state to maintain your ethics and law license, I rediscovered mediation. And mediation led to divorce mediation training, which led to meeting Adam Berner, who Mm -hmm. told me about collaborative laws. So I basically found the one niche area of law where I felt like I could really 
work in a way that I feel good about, truly help people, combine my social work skills and family and child knowledge with the legal system. Mm -hmm. So here I am. And I do think that my master's in social work does help my practice, although I do have to keep those two separate for ethical purposes and legal purposes. But there's so many questions I have. The first I wanted to talk about, many times you'll meet people in this profession, particularly mediators that will come from a mental health background. Others will be mediators and they've come from the legal background. But here you are, you're coming in with both. And so... How does that change maybe the way that you look at the divorce process or families going through divorce? I think I'm well suited for collaborative law because I really do look at the family as a whole. Rather than advocating fiercely for one client, I really do keep in mind the future of the family, the needs of the children. How can they save time and money and resources, financial and more valuable even relationships and time, their life, their happiness, you know, their future, like looking forward, how can they really preserve that? And generally litigation depletes all of those resources. So I like to empower people that come to me and let them know their options. And I think that's a social work mind, Mm -hmm. you know, more than a legal. I don't fiercely advocate for my client in this like contentious adversarial way. Mm I don't think the needs of families and couples, I don't think it really works Mm -hmm. in that adversarial way. You know, there are specific circumstances where that is necessary, but I think they're very rare. Tell me a little bit more about mediation and collaborative law, because I know that some of our listeners here today, they've probably heard of mediation and have some ideas about it, but most probably have not heard about collaborative law. So what is the difference between the two and how do you choose among them? They're both alternative dispute mm-hmm. resolution options. You know, which one would be right for someone versus maybe the other one more preferable? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. And I think you're right. Most people have heard of mediation at this point. Mm-hmm. And mediation, as you know, involves a mediator who's a neutral, who is to remain objective and not advocate for either party to help negotiate or to help the couple have a conversation that results in an agreement. Uh Ultimately, an uncontested divorce is filed in court. And then there are review attorneys. Every mediator strongly advises each party to see a review attorney. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. so they are having that kind of happen at the very end. Just make sure that they know what they might be waiving, what they might be entitled to. You know, there's a lot of might because nothing's guaranteed in court anyway. But there's a lot of gray area there. Collaborative law, I think, is less known. And I think it's going to become more known because I think it serves a lot of people, especially in New York City, mm-hmm. in this community of people um, who have often high salaries and assets and complicated financial lives and, yeah. and the need for privacy, um, the need to make decisions and be advocated for, but in a confidential, behind closed doors, out-of-court settlement. Mm-hmm. So a collaborative situation is where each party retains a collaborative attorney. So instead of the neutral where there's just the mediator that is working as a neutral for both, you they each have an attorney your own collaborative from the beginning. From the very, very beginning. And there is an agreement to a collaborative divorce signed at the beginning, which basically says that the parties are going to make a full faith effort to settle all issues mm-hmm. out of court prior to even filing 
So at the end, it looks like a mediation. You Mm -hmm. file an uncontested divorce. So there is an agreement that is signed by all parties. Each party does have an attorney. Mm -hmm. And the attorneys are also agreeing to help them in good faith, Mm -hmm. best intention, you know, resolve this out of court. Should the parties, should it break down and the parties go to court, the attorneys no longer represent them. So, so there's more new- incentive. Yes, they would have to find new counsel. So there's incentive for the team. And the team does include also a financial neutral specialist who can help with all the financial issues as well as a mental health professional or maybe two mm-hmm. who can be a child specialist, also a divorce yep. coach, just kind of help with the emotional components. So it's a full team effort. It kind of you know mimics the, the way the court system has forensics, you know, if you have a business valuation or if you are doing full discovery around finances. And I think it's intelligent. It's sophisticated. It's creating this team out of court in a very civilized way that's totally private, confidential, has the same skill set. Also, you're in charge of your own schedule. You're not on a court calendar. Yeah. So you don't have to abide by the court process. And calendar. Often meetings are at night, Mm -hmm. 6 to 8 p.m. You know, it's more convenient instead of having to miss work every time you have to show up at court. I think both options are really good. I think it's totally dependent on what the couple's needs are. I know that pretty much everyone on the face of the planet going through a divorce doesn't want to end up in court. Majority of us would Mm -hmm. never want to end up in court. What do you do if your spouse doesn't feel the same way? Is there a way to save that? Is there a way to wrap them into the mediation process? Is there a way to work in the collaborative process if you have a spouse that's breathing hell and broom fire and you know wants to hire an attorney that's potentially going to scorch the earth? Mm-hmm. Is that possible? I think it is. I mean, ultimately, it is a voluntary process. So both people have to sign on, you know, to want mediation or collaborative. I would say in that scenario, collaborative is probably a good option because that spouse would know that at least they're being advocated for and they're going to be fully informed about what might or might not happen, about legal kind of standards, and also could do a pretty complete discovery. I think when a relationship is breaking down, it's just sadly, it's every fear, every fear of abandonment, grief, loss, anger, attachment. I mean, it's overwhelming. And I think litigation just heightens all of that. You know, Mm -hmm. that feeling of being out of control, that resources are lacking. What if this happens? What if that happens? So I think, sadly, whoever people go to see for their initial consultation, I think is going to have a lot of influence. You know, Mm -hmm. so if you go to see a litigation attorney who says, you're entitled to this, I can get you this, and I can get you that. Whether or not that actually comes to fruition, that's what you've heard. And you walk out feeling like you have someone on your side who's fighting for you. And I think the reality is it all kind of ends up the same. With 41% of marriages now resulting in divorce in the United States, I've seen statistics from 90 to 95% of all litigated cases end up in settlement. Everything's ending up in settlement, essentially. Like, even if you litigate, if you go to court... It ends up being a negotiation, Mm -hmm. basically behind the scenes from attorney to attorney. The difference is it's a negotiation where one party's asking for this extreme, the other party's asking for the other extreme, right? 
or for the same thing, you know? So ultimately you end somewhere in the middle as we all pretty much know with negotiation, right? And the difference is it's a year and a half, two years down the road, and you've spent tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars, Uh you know? Whereas if you can have that conversation sitting at a round table or at a conference room table, you know, with your collaborative attorneys, with your financial neutral, with your mental health professional in a collaborative format, I think you come up with the same, very, very similar results. And you have the opportunity to walk away feeling empowered, feeling like you together were able to have a conversation that's meaningful, Mm -hmm. that you made decisions for your unique family, for your children, for their future. So as a collaborative attorney or as a mediator, what are some of those best practices to help couples stay out of divorce? I know one that I'm going to mention I learned a technique that I use on my children, which works really well, called looping. For those of you listening, looping is my son telling me, Mom, I really want to play video games. I do not want to walk the dog. And me looping him back saying, okay, Sebastian, you're telling me that you don't want to walk the dog and you'd rather play video games. Is that right? And now it doesn't mean, guys, that I'm going to let him play the video games and not walk the dog, but it's essentially that feeling heard. Mm-hmm. What are some of the tools and techniques that you use as a professional to keep that conversation going and to keep that movement forward and not falling back mm-hmm. into litigation? Yeah, I think looping is very important. I think when people keep repeating themselves, they feel like they haven't been heard, yeah. like emotionally So heard. letting them know, yeah, you're right. So, so that's what they're doing is when they're going over and over again, it's kind mm-hmm. of like, you're not hearing You're me. not getting what I'm saying. Even if you could be repeating what I'm saying, you're not really getting it. Okay. So yeah, I think that's a great skill. I think something as simple as taking notes from meeting to meeting, like we call mm-hmm. them joint sessions when you meet with the parties and the attorneys and maybe the others as well, but taking notes and going back to, this is what we've accomplished. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. a it's super simple little, yeah, like a little forward. step forward. I think also the first session, I think it's really important to have them state and to jot it down in the notes why they chose collaborative. And usually that looks something like because we don't want to litigate, mm-hmm. we want to save money. We don't want our kids to hear that we were in court. We care about each other. We don't want to attack each other, you know, stuff like that. So when things start to look a little different than that down the road, when things can become super emotional, you can go back to that and be like, let's just look at, you know, without being totally condescending. It's like an adult way, but it's like, guys, you chose collaborative. Let's look at why. Like, let's just go back. Like, there's a reason why you decided to work on this. And it's really difficult to sit here and discuss this stuff. And in some ways it's more difficult than court because you don't hide behind an attorney and, you know, stand there silent looking at the judge. Mm-hmm. It's like you're forced to sit and really talk about stuff and people do cry. And it's hard work. And it's hard work. It's hard work to like think about how are you going to spend the holidays in the future with your kids? Coming up with a parenting plan, parenting time, it's tough. It's not what anyone initially hoped for. But it's okay. There's no failure here. Mm-hmm. There's just growth. You're just transitioning to the next part of your life yeah. together. And with these two options, 
I'm a big control freak. And so the idea of me going to a court and having a judge tell me what my child visitation schedule is going to be and whether or not I can stay in our home here or I have to sell it scares me. And Mm -hmm. what's nice about alternative dispute resolution is that you're not going to have someone who doesn't know you tell you what has to happen for the rest of your future. And I can feel and imagine that with all the emotion and all the anxiety and the worry and everything that's circling around, having more control over Mm -hmm. the process, the timing, and how you're working through it has to be just so much more uplifting. I would love to see the anxiety. If there could be anxiety meters on people in different types of process, processes through the mm-hmm. through divorce, it would be really interesting to see mm. how people have traveled through them. Because I would imagine that mm. using mediation and using collaborative, that hopefully the stress levels would be taken down a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're still there, mm-hmm. but taken down a little bit. I mean, that would actually be really interesting to do a questionnaire throughout the process, to do a study on that. I think so. Absolutely. I think maybe the emotions of anger are probably replaced a little bit by grief, Mm -hmm. sadness. I think it's a more honest, deep process. You know, anytime you take your life in your own hands and speak your own truth and really communicate with someone you love, I think that's just deeper. If you look on a continuum of control versus giving up control, court would be the ultimate extreme of giving up control. You're letting your destiny and your future be in someone else's hands, right? You're letting the legal system literally dictate for you Mm -hmm. as an individual and for your children who are really innocent bystanders in your house, you know, in your spouse. Like you have given up control of your decisions around your life, right? And then there's arbitration, which doesn't happen in matrimonial, but that would be the next level would be like, okay, you get to tell your story, which people think is going to happen in court, but doesn't. You don't really get to tell your story. You don't feel relief. You actually are just like, what just happened? And this is painful. Uh This is not comfortable. And then arbitration, it's like the arbitrator makes a decision after hearing both sides. And then you'd go to collaborative where you have more control because you're working through an attorney, yeah. but it's all you. Mm-hmm. You know, the attorney's looking to you they're for not, guidance and direction. They're not necessarily being your mouthpiece. You're no, the they're not. And they're not telling you what to go. It's really like, what's best for you? I mean, who knows better than you, yeah. you know, about your own life and your own family? And then mediation would be the next option, which gives you more control, but less structure, less legal guidance, mm-hmm. less advocacy. And then the furthest extreme would just be doing it yourself, (laughs) like going to the court's website and like filling out the uncontested paperwork with a pen and filling it in and handing it over for a fee, which is really, you're taking full control of your decisions. And you can do that, but I don't advise it because it is a big, big step in your life. And it's good to count on professionals. I think you just have to align yourself with the professionals who have your interest in mind, your best interest, and also you feel comfortable with it. They kind of get what you want at the end of this. So when someone's in the mediation process or the collaborative process and they're frustrated 
what would be the reasons that you've seen where the negotiations have broken down and they've gone into litigation? And when are the right times where that's the mm-hmm. going to litigation is the right answer? Personally, with me, with collaborative mediation, I've only seen that happen once. And I sensed it at the beginning, hoped for the best, but there was a real distrust around finances and fear of lack of transparency. And yeah. and even from the beginning, you can uh, tell. It's and interesting. then there was also a deadline, like there was yeah. a trip planned. There were just things that had to happen by this time. And I think the other party felt unsafe mm-hmm. and just decided to file. And they're entitled to do that. I think overall court does still serve some people best. And if there's any kind of emotional or physical abuse, domestic violence, if there's any real fear of like lack of transparency around finances, like really Mm -hmm. like one person has no clue and feels like their spouse is like hiding something, isn't going to be honest because in court there's full discovery. That's probably the best place for someone with that situation to go. And discovery, just so you as listeners know, discovery is the process of essentially everybody hands over all the documentation Mm -hmm. that you need for your finances, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, tax returns, you know, W-2s, things like that, so that the picture you have of your finances is a true, full, complete Mm -hmm. picture. And there isn't necessarily a formal discovery process in mediation or in collaborative. However, that being said, everyone should be disclosing this information. Mm -hmm. But court is there if needed if someone doesn't, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. comply. Yeah, and we do exchange net worth statements and W-2s and all of that and retirement accounts. But there's kind of a good faith. Yeah, that you have to trust the person. But the spouses, they're both kind of familiar. and. yeah. They know what they have as a couple. So So we've been talking a lot about the couple going through this process. Before we finish up, I want to make sure that we also talk about children because you come to this process with essentially more experience than I've ever seen anyone have of in the mental health background, particularly working with children. How do we protect children through this process? Whatever method that you're using. What are the children that come out of this as mentally and physically strong as possible? What worked about their situation or, you know, their parents? I think it is important to remind couples that kids love them both. And it's scary when your parents argue. Mm -hmm. It's scary when You don't know if you're going to have to move or go to a different school or give up anything in your life, really. You know, kids are very loving and they're also very Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-centered, which is a good thing. It's like it's a necessity for growth. But I think it's important for parents to remember, you know, just the basics. And I do actually give my clients all the child's Bill of Rights, which is essentially, you know, things like kids have the right not to choose sides, They have the right not to be told something like bad about the other parent. They have a right to love both parents equally Mm -hmm. or individually, as well as like a future partner of that parent down the road. Like they don't need to be asked about what was it like to go see mommy Mm -hmm. or what was it like to go see daddy, who's daddy. You know, they don't need to like be the 
person who transfers info, they're already like a conduit of emotional stuff. Like they can sense issues. Is the Children's Bill of Rights a formal document? I honestly don't even know. I have it on my website. There's also a Parents' Bill of Rights, and I really, really love it. And um, clients love it too. And I'm not actually sure where it originally came out of, but we are definitely seeing more and more people put it into their agreements, and I do as well. Love it. And so what we'll do too for everyone listening in the show notes We'll make sure that we put a link to the Parents' Bill of Rights through, Kristen, through your website, if you don't Mm -hmm. mind, as well as the Children's Bill of Rights, because that sounds really important. And I'll share experience that I just had a flashback of how this impacts kids. I'm trying to remember the exact age. I think I might have been nine or 10, but I remember my mother telling me that my dad was not going to be coming home, that he was going to be spending the night at work and that they were not getting along anymore. And to your point, as far as self-centered, the first thing I thought about was, oh my God, what does this mean? Number one, my first thought was, am I never going to see my dad? Mm -hmm. But the second thought was, does this mean we have to move? Does this mean I have Mm -hmm. a different school? So Literally within 30 seconds, mm-hmm. my mind had jumped to 10 different places mm-hmm. and I just became unconsolable and started bawling. And I remember this memory so strong because all of a sudden my mom kind of woke up. She didn't quite realize that this was going to have that impact on me. And the next night my dad was home and it was never spoken about again. Oh my goodness. Wow. And they were married until she died. Now, granted, they still argued. and mm-hmm. But from the child's perspective, mm-hmm. where you go to and that feeling of fear about your life changing and not having that safety and security, mm-hmm. I just had a sliver of that. Just a sliver. And, you know, here kids are going through this for could be for years. Mm -hmm. So I really am so excited to look at the Children's Bill of Rights of how can we help kids feel safe, Mm -hmm. right? How and and secure and loved by both. And kids are 100% dependent on their parents and they love their parents equally. I mean, no kid doesn't love their parent. You know, it's just the way it goes. So any feeling that that parent unit is unstable is like seriously frightening for children yeah it's like walking into a building where the foundation mm-hmm. isn't secure you're not comfortable on the first floor you're definitely not comfortable mm-hmm. on the top floor either and they don't need to know the details of anything especially yeah. your fights but in general i mean it's what children can be told is based on their age and developmental level But in general, less is more in that scenario. It's okay to keep it behind closed doors. I mean, it's why out of court is so great because no one's eyes see anything. Your affidavits, the stuff you file, you're not accusing one another of being a bad parent. You know, you're just making decisions around timing. And when kids are older, they can also be part of the decision. Uh It's like, how are they going to spend their summer break? Uh So when a parent like me, I would have a million and one questions about... What's age appropriate? How do I talk to them? When is it right to bring in another, you know, boyfriend or a girlfriend? There's a million and one questions. Where do you find the answers? 
is there a book? Is there, you know, having a parenting coordinator that's involved? Like how mm-hmm. do you have your own personal therapist? Where do you get those answers? Because that is part of what I know I would be really afraid of is not meaning to make a mistake, but really screwing mm-hmm. up and making a mistake that's going to damage my kid. Mm-hmm. So I think when kids are old enough to be able to pick up on stuff and ask questions, like mm-hmm. why is so-and-so sleeping on the couch? It is time to acknowledge why and just say that, you know, we're having issues, we're working on them. Most important thing, we both love you and have this conversation together. We love you. You are safe. Mm -hmm. You are protected. We are here for you. We are always your parents. We are doing our best to work this out. You have nothing to worry about you know, type of conversation I think is necessary rather than just pretending everything's fine when kids can tell it's not. But ultimately for the real specific kind of questions, I definitely recommend that people speak with like a mental health professional. Yeah. And there's family therapy. I send people often to Ackerman Mm -hmm. Family Institute. Tell me a little bit about Ackerman. I'm familiar. And again, we'll have a link for everyone there, but Talk about the Ackerman Institute. They have some great resources. Yeah, so they do family therapy. I've sent a lot of clients there. I think they also have like a sliding scale, which I think is great for some clients. They also do couples therapy. They can meet with the children. I just feel like it's a good comprehensive program. It's also a teaching school, so there are a lot of different options for people. And it's right here in Manhattan. And then when it comes to working out issues around the children, the legal issues, custody, physical and legal, child support, parenting time, all of that. I feel that it's very couple specific. It's like whatever has worked for their family Mm -hmm. will probably work in the future. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you want to keep things a little bit like they've been, you know, there shouldn't be any huge dramatic change. I think children like Routine, consistency. Oh, yes. I like, like routine and consistency. We, we all do. Trust <laughs> me. But kids definitely do. You know, like they want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. You know, in a sense. So yeah. I think just maintaining status quo is like pretty good. Yeah. If that's possible. And sometimes I think you asked me what is the most complicated scenario. You asked me something that I see. And one thing is just the price of New York real estate. And I see so many couples who purchased like a brownstone in Brooklyn, et cetera, 20 years ago for not that much money. <laughs> now it's worth a lot. And, and maybe the majority of their money. Right. It's like their main asset. And sadly, like I now see situations where people are kind of priced out of the neighborhood, you know, and like they can't really afford to buy each other out. So like that's a very New York, I think, situation where that does lead to, like, I think you would ask, what is one of the most difficult scenarios when things aren't working? Collaborative can make some things more, I don't know, easy to digest and emotionally understanding and and supportive and all of that. But at the end of the day, that a scenario like that, you just can't avoid. It is what it is, you know, so. Which is the better option if the other option is be stressed out about money forevermore. You know, so it's like changes might have to be made and it might not be ideal, but you work with what you have and work to move forward. So is there anything else that you want to add or make sure as far as resources or tips? 
to share with our listeners how they can find out about you. And we'll definitely put links to the Parents' Bill of Rights, the Children's Bill of Rights. I am very, very excited to read that. And I may even just use that around my household, mm-hmm. around in our family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how do you as a teenager treat your parents? You know, and I know this is obviously for divorce, but these are great things for even intact, mm-hmm. healthy families to be using. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's good to be mindful about stuff like that. We're a family. We can get away with everything, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, you still need a sense of like love and yeah. respect towards one another and like treating each other with love and patience and everything we expect from someone that we love and that loves us, you know? So, I mean, I think my closing words would be, if you're thinking your relationship is looking like you're moving towards a separation and divorce, don't let fear take over. Don't let anger take over. Like this is a temporary period of your life. Like you are going to move through it just like you have everything else you've ever done. And take your time to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically. Treat yourself the way you treat your best friend if they were in this situation. And be thoughtful about who you align with legally because they will set the tone for the next year and a half of your life. And I would even say with Mediation and Collaborative, I honestly just worked with a couple that beginning to end was three months. I mean, that is totally unusual. (laughs) You were setting the bar very high. (laughs) Three months for filing in court, which means another three months for finalization. But still, I mean, that is not typical. I would say generally it is a process. There's a lot to sort out, but you can make decisions on your own. No one knows about your life better than you. And I would say just take the time to have a consultation with a collaborative attorney Speak with a mediator. Don't just think of litigation. And I am quite certain that moving forward, younger people who are so do-it-yourself, I mean, this the younger, the 20-year-olds are just so motivated to, like, arm themselves with, like, self-power and knowledge, uh-huh. you know, which I'm so impressed with. But I do not see them going to court. I don't see them hiring the almighty divorce attorney to, like, go out yeah. and, like, It would be really interesting to see what this profession looks like in 20 years. I think the future is collaborative and mediation. You know, there will always be a need to go to court for some Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's like a dinosaur. It's outdated, like, overall. We're in a different place now. Like, women really, we have amazing opportunities. We have great jobs. I see more and more couples where the woman is, like, the primary earner. Uh And people love their kids. I find... No matter how many problems a couple has, when they talk about their kids, I mean, they just glow. Like, they really love their kids, and they want what's best for their kids. Mm -hmm. And even in a scenario where the couple doesn't get along very well anymore, maybe they never did. I see a lot of, like, communication kind of issues. They're very unlikely to really say the other person isn't a good parent. They pretty much acknowledge the kids love their dad. The kids love their mom. Yeah. And also, by the way, it's kind of nice to have another person, another parent, yeah. another adult in your kid's life that loves them and yeah. puts their interests first and is helping you with them. Sometimes people get really crazy about custody and time, right? So I'm just going to give one example of a friend, actually. The father had been MIA for some time. I mean, it really was... It was not a great situation. And then he appeared and 
asked for time, you know, with the mm-hmm. child. And my friend was so devastated. She's like, where has he been? Like he owed arrears mm-hmm. and child support. You know, it was just not good. And he did get every other weekend and like Wednesday night or whatever, which is so typical. And fast forward to a few years later, her son like loves his dad, always did, by the way, is so happy to go that every other weekend to his dad. And fast forward to her, she's psyched to be able to like have that weekend to herself. I know. And go out with friends and like go on dates. I know. You know, it's like your life does continue. Yeah. Like, and nothing's ending. Like, and it's good for kids yes. to have both parents. You don't need to possible. suffocate your kid. And guess what? Yeah. Every judge knows that kids deserve to have a relationship with their parents. Yeah. Even if you think this person actually is a bad parent, guess what? They might not be in two years. Yeah. Just give them a chance. You know, often people don't bond. I mean, I feel like I'm making generalizations, but I think there is some research around, like, Men sometimes don't bond with little babies uh-huh. the same way that they do with older children. Yeah. I think the intentions are good. I like to think that we all do the best we can yeah. in general as humans. I think yeah. hopefully we grow, we expand, we learn more about ourselves as we get older and have more experience. But I think we're all trying to do the best we can right now today. All I say is hallelujah to that. I'm doing the best I can. I know we all are. I feel like we so. all are. You know, this, are. it's not yeah. always easy. Yeah, it's Kristen, <laughs> just so you know, we're each on our, like, third iced coffee here today. <laughs> and uh, we're actually, as you know, these are all pre-recorded. We're sitting here. It is not a.m. It is later in the day. <laughs> so we are doing the best we can. How do our listeners get a hold of you? Probably my website okay. is the best way. Great, so and what we'll do is we'll put a link to that too. Okay. Um, share your URL, but um, it's we'll Kate. put a link too. So my name is Kristen Gale Leindecker. Gale is for my mom's name. So kglmediation.com. And yes, yeah, so you can find my contact info there. You can shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I'm happy to help anyone. That's great. And you're right here in the New York area. Mm-hmm. I'm on 6th Avenue between 54th and 55th. And do you take only New York State, or are you able to work with other states as well? Or only so I actually am only New York. I am licensed in Pennsylvania. Okay. Although I'm not in Pennsylvania. Okay. <laughs> if there is this specific scenario where someone has moved to New York, maybe from Pennsylvania, I don't know. But yeah, I'm licensed in New York. Well, thank you for being here. And thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining Financially Ever After. In a few minutes, I'm going to go over the takeaways from our episode today, as well as some next steps that you can use to stay out of court and also to protect your children. But before then, I want to talk about something that you really need, and that is to understand what your money is doing for you. You see, our second opinion service is an x-ray analysis on all of your investment holdings in your IRA, your 401k, brokerage accounts, and how they all work together. Why is this important? Well, we're seeing historic high volatility, volatility that risks to slash the value of this nest egg that you need to support you for the rest of your life. Your second opinion service is going to tell you what risk you have and what you need to do to shore up your portfolio to protect yourself in the event of a recession or a downturn. So please reach out to us for our second opinion service at stacy at francisfinancial.com. You can also visit our website. Right on the website gives you all the information, www.francisfinancial.com. Know that it's a free service and it's all about giving you information. The takeaways from today were huge. Kristen Leindecker essentially gave us the keys that we need to know to stay out 
of court. Mediation, collaborative, were two terms that maybe you have heard before or maybe not. But today, you walked away with understanding how each of these two different types of divorce process can work for you and your family. She also shared some key tips, such as we learned looping, revisiting why you came to collaborative and mediation in the beginning, taking notes and making sure that you're being heard. These are all things that can help you keep you in the process, keep your spouse engaged as much as you are, and keep you out of court. Now, Kristen does very honestly share that not all cases can stay out of court. There are some times when you need a judge. It could be domestic violence. It could be many things. But most importantly, you need to make sure that in this process, you feel safe and you know that your spouse is being honest and open and playing fair. And of all of this, in my opinion, the most important piece that Kristen shared was using her decades of experience in the mental health background, particularly working with children, to help protect children. We're going to give you that link to the Bill of Rights for Children as well as for parents, and I highly encourage you to read it and to possibly share it with your spouse and the lawyer that's representing you. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After. One of my favorite parts of the work that I do is joining you every other week. And something I really want to share with you that I hope that you hold close to your heart was something that Kristen Leindecker said today, and that is treat yourself as you would treat your best friend who was going through this process. Without further ado, I'm sending you a big hug, as much as a hug could come across in a podcast, and I'll be talking to you in two weeks. <laughs>